0: my name is John Leslie, and uh, we are here today talking about radio. and uh, I want to introduce you to a guy that is I, <laughs> he's actually going to talk, I guess more about life after radio than, uh, than his time in radio, which was fairly short. short. Uh, Steve Nuvine is in Merced, California. Uh, good morning, Steve. Good morning. Give us a geography lesson. I'm not familiar with uh, where Merced is.
1: Yes. Uh, well, Merced is in the Central Valley of California, um, which means we're not on the coast. We're about uh, two hours away from San Francisco, and we are about two hours uh, south of Sacramento, four hours north of L.A.
0: So that really so. puts you in touch with everything in California.
1: Yes, that was always the selling point, uh, out here was that, uh, yeah, you're not in San Francisco, but you're just a couple of hours away or you're not in LA, but you can get there in a, you know, in a morning or whatever. But, uh, uh, but it also, it also closely, uh, resembles what my life was like in that, uh, you know, I'm not a big city guy and, uh, yet here I am in California and, Actually, in my last job, I did a lot of work in San Francisco, uh, and we would just drive over, spend the night on the, on the, you know, in, in the Bay Area and attend meetings and whatever uh, to do that. But it was like, nice to be able to have quick access to those major cities without actually having to live there.
0: <laughs> You're not a native Californian.
1: No, upstate New York grew up in uh, Port Leiden, New York in Lewis County, north of uh Utica and uh got my uh education at uh, Herkimer County Community College and then transferred to Syracuse University where I got my bachelor's degree and uh throughout those years I obviously broadcast journalism and radio TV were my majors and uh worked part time at a local station in Boonville New York which was about 5 miles from my home and uh that was uh w b r v uh a m station daytimer uh started there in january of nineteen seventy six and that became my weekend and summers job throughout the uh throughout my college career and um learned everything about the business and uh, what i liked and what i didn't like and and um really enjoyed the work and enjoyed being you know part of that station and and learned under some uh, very good mentors, and uh, it was a great experience.
0: We're talking with Steve Newvine in Merced, California. We're talking about radio, and, and you can't talk about radio without talking about television and all of the associated things with that. But, Steve, back at that time, uh, your radio, you and I both know, has changed so dramatically over the past few years. Uh, that small radio station that you worked at, was a very important part of that community.
1: Oh yes, it, it it really was the lifeline for the community. In my opinion, I probably uh, dis- decided on a career in broadcasting, uh, and specifically a career in radio when I was probably ten years old. A big snowstorm in upstate New York; all the roads were closed, and you know it was one of your you know your typical. Upstate New York winters, Mm -hmm. and uh, WBRV was the lifeline. And in that particular storm, I remember they kept saying we're staying on the air beyond our licensed time uh, under. Whatever emergency authority of the FCC, there must have been some provision that would allow the station to go low power or something. And through the evening, you know, sheriff's department would uh, have a report or whatever on the conditions and all the closings and everything. And but uh, that really that lit the fire that I kind of wanted to do something in that in that arena. At the time, it was radio, would eventually become television. But you're right. I mean, we'd have, my mother would have the radio on at, uh, seven in the morning and I could time my, my preparation for school based on <laughs> right. the, on the programs, you know, the little five minute programs yeah. throughout that seven o'clock hour. You know, I had to have breakfast done before the swap shop came on and I had to be out the door for the bus before, uh, the sports report and, uh, it, but it just was my, my timer and, and, uh, and plus that's happening in the late sixties early nineteen seventies Music was a big part of it, and this station of course played a lot of the played a little bit of everything they they did they did day part uh programming where you'd have country music uh, in the early afternoon and all requests to rock and roll from from three o'clock until sign off right. and and uh, you know any, anything, and in the morning everything was fair game, and it was fun to to listen to the music and and you know work plan your day around the radio station.
0: And and the local advertisers realized that and supported <laughs> those uh, local stations. Um, yes, it's interesting, and a lot of people are not aware of this. That back in the fifties, the forties, and the fifties, the Federal Communications Commission. Was really pushing the idea of fifty thousand watt radio stations. Uh, well, they they reached their heyday in the sixties and seventies. The WLS in Chicago and right. WOWO in Fort Wayne, WGY in Albany, and but the it, it's entirely possible that your little radio station there could have been offered a fifty thousand watt license because the FCC and the federal government wanted a a way to reach all citizens of the United States in the event of an emergency. Well, at that time, those local owners said, well, that's all well and good, but we make a living selling advertising. And if I have a 50,000-watt station in Boonville, New York, the the shoe uh, store in Cleveland is not going to be interested. (laughs) And, That's right. And, and so they abandoned, uh, the FCC abandoned that idea. A few stations did gobble up those, uh, uh, those licenses, KDKA and Pittsburgh and a whole bunch of them. So then what the FCC did was they came up with another plan called local frequencies. And uh, what was your frequency in, uh, in Boonville?
1: We were 900.
0: Oh, that was yeah. way up the dial. So that, that, yeah. that had a really nice signal. But what they did was they assigned these local frequencies, 1430, 1390, 1290, with the idea that if there were enough of those signals in enough cities, they would achieve the same goal and be able to reach everybody, uh, at the same time. So uh-huh. there, there's your lesson. before we go back, <laughs> I, I want to, I want to tell you, I did, I did mornings at WGY in Albany and right. uh it was a 50,000 watt station we covered 33 counties in three states and we had those snow days we had those same storms that you had this was 1981 and i'm telling Hi. a story on myself uh <laughs> the uh, uh, there were so many school districts in the coverage area in those 33 counties that it was impossible for those superintendent of uh, superintendents to call all of the radio stations in all of those thirty-three counties, so the deal was, they would call WGY, we would get the school closings, I would read them on the air, the other radio stations would listen to me, and, and <laughs> it was it, it, it wasn't—I mean, it was well known. That was this—that was the plan, and right. so they would get all of the school closings from me, and then they would repeat them. Well, every once in a while, I would stick in a fake school. <laughs> like the, the sure the Phineas T. Bluster School of Cosmetology
1: <laughs> that's great and of course they would read that oh, they, <laughs> they, they would, <laughs> 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 oh that's that's funny
0: well let's go back
1: it's it, it something I just about the schools I remember so many uh, of my classmates it was all about a, a snowy day get on get, listen to the radio and just pray that, <laughs> <laughs> that my school is on that list and i can't tell you how many of my classmates and people from my school uh you know felt that same way it was like wow we, you know, and there were days when you know every school around the uh around our district would be closed and you know we were open and like well, wait, wait there's got to be a mistake
0: <laughs> yeah, <You know>? right <laughs> Well, that the, the, the would be hard sometimes for the superintendent or the transportation director to get through to the station because the kids were all calling.
1: Oh, saying, right, you know, right. Is
0: is my how come you you know you read my school once and you didn't repeat it? How come you know? I, and I would say, call your teacher at home. You know. <laughs> oh, that's true. And and the, and the superintendents, you know, they would have this code word so we would know that it was really them. Uh oh, right. Yeah. When right. in fact we knew them. I mean we knew these guys. And so they would call and they'd say Snowball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep, that's you oh, all right. That's that's him. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Well, now, you, uh, when did you transition? There's, uh, you talk a lot about in in your writings, in, in in your background information, about your love of writing, and and uh, the, yeah. there is not. I, I interviewed Alan Walden the other day. I don't know whether you know who he is. He was he was on NBC Radio and and uh, WBA in Baltimore. He's an excellent writer, um, and there's not, unfortunately, not a whole lot of writing skill these days in yeah. in many of the television and radio, uh, mostly television uh, news broadcasts. But that was your passion.
1: Yes. I didn't realize it was my passion until, you know, I started. I was just realized that I'd been doing so much writing. Now, you know, for radio, you, you know, you had to write news primarily, but occasionally, especially in the summers when I was there as a full-timer, you know, here, uh, write this copy for this shoe store or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, and and so I was doing a lot of that and uh you know, and then of course I get into television news and all that and then you kinda of realize, boy, I've done a lot of writing and then I think something happened to me probably probably into the uh latter part of my broadcasting career when I was producing documentaries where we you know we had to write a half hour program and you, know, you just like stand back and think be more thoughtful about how you you know you were phrasing things and and then I kind of realized, okay, that's what I am. I'm a writer, and throughout the rest of my career and um and, and it was actually more outside of broadcasting after I left uh television um uh, you know newsletters and travel brochures and things along those lines, and then eventually into some some books that I have written uh where you just realize okay that's my that's my thing and um uh, it, it is it, it is something to you know look back at it and every everyone uh, you know, I do columns for a local website here twice a month and I really look at those as each each one is a standalone piece that I didn't uh I I don't think about that much but yeah I do I do realize okay you gotta, you gotta say this in a way that'll, the reader will come away from it with uh, something to to raise some impact. Yeah. And I think, uh, um, you know, we, we try to do that a lot. Somebody told me one of my books, uh, uh, one of my memoirs about, uh, growing up in upstate New York. Someone gave me some feedback, said, you know, it seems like each chapter is its own standalone story a standalone book almost and and i i think that's kind of goes back to the broadcast uh mentality uh beginning middle and end you, you've got you've got two minutes to do this story and you know when you go out in the morning to do a story for the night's newscast you know it's going to be about a minute 30
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. It's
1: going to, yeah and it's going to be it's going to be finished whether you're ready or not you've got to you've got to get out there and put it all together, and uh, when an interview falls apart or whatever, uh, you just go ahead and and you, you do it anyway, and you just put your best foot forward in all of that. And uh, I've been trying to keep that in mind when I do these columns. I usually just spend a day, you know, visiting the site, talking to the people, come back. I don't necessarily write it that same day because I have the luxury of time, but my thinking is that, we're not going to spend a month on this mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we're just going to go out there see what i see tell the story and and get it on the uh on the website
0: well back to the uh television uh, for a moment too i, I and sure. I, I don't know what years you <clears throat> were involved uh in television uh, i i started in radio i thought that was going to be my sole uh, purpose in life but then I went to Youngstown, Ohio, and suddenly found myself on television. I found myself a a street reporter, which I loved. I liked the police beat. I liked the fire beat. But then I ended up as an anchor as well. But this, in that day and age, we didn't have videotape. And the film, particularly the sound on film, and that is the film we shot that had sound associated with it, where we would go out and interview an individual, When we went out to do that, the news director would say, you've got three maximum three minutes of film. So it wasn't like shoot it and shoot it over and shoot it over and shoot it over. You you had to get it right the first couple of times uh, because that's all the film that was available. You know, that's –
1: and I worked – I did an internship at WKTV in Utica, and they were doing film. And then briefly at the second station in Huntsville, Alabama, you know, I worked in Binghamton prior to Huntsville. We had film for about three weeks and then we had made the conversion. So I was aware of that, you know, you only had so much film. But it didn't take long when you were working with videotape to realize, you know, think about that videotape as a three minute canister of film because otherwise you come back in the afternoon, start putting things together. And you've got you know twenty thirty minutes of video to, to look through, and you know the clock is ticking. You've got to get something going. So I, we were very, or I was at least very cognizant of you know be be efficient. You know, ask the questions you need uh, for the story. Uh, you know, we never thought of reshooting an interview, and you know, unless the you know the, the lighting was poor, or yeah, color was yeah. was off. But it was like do do the interview. You know, you'd call the 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 newsmaker ahead of time say i'm going to you know come down and talk to you about this and um they knew you you know you were only going to take about 20 minutes of their time and you know three quarters of that was the setup and tearing down of the uh the microphone (laughs) and lights and and the rest of it was just get those get those answers on the on the tape and move on but and i even use that same thought pattern when i shot home video for my family when we would go to concerts and all that i'd say nobody wants to sit through you know <laughs> i mean I, you had to sit through it live yeah. and that's bad enough <laughs> but if you got you know, an hour of the concert uh, you know i don't think anybody really wanted to to see that and as a result we have these nice little vignettes from over the years and we can watch them all in a matter of an evening if we want to and not not uh Two hours of the same
0: concert, right? You know that shooting on and on and on, droning on like that is is like listening to somebody else tell you about their dream. You know, (laughs) yes, it's (laughs) totally uninteresting. You know, and and i I, I've had Uh, this I've had this philosophy that uh, digital. Cameras, digital still cameras, and videotape have damaged the art form. Oh, yeah. yeah. Beca- because, and, and I'm an accomplished uh, amateur, well, I've been published nationally a number of times, so I guess I'm not an amateur, but I, I, I compose the picture in the viewfinder before I right. make the exposure. I don't keep shooting until accidentally, there's, <laughs> right, <laughs> there's a good shot in there. And, and the news photographers that I worked with over the years in television uh, early on, they knew, particularly with B-roll, they knew what to shoot. And, and they, the story was, they told the story through their viewfinders. Uh, and it, it, it's so sad now because we all talk about how it has changed and maybe it's changed for the better. I, I don't know.
1: I think there's some parts about it that are better, but, um, you know, now we've, we've almost eliminated the role of the videographer, you know, with these, you know, one man bands, uh, uh, and, and I know that's a cost thing. And, but the, I, I cherish the, uh, relationships when they were good. And most of mine were good with a photographer because you could, you kind of got to the point where you kind of knew where we were both going with it. And, uh, The the videographer had the sense of composition and, you know, how best to illustrate the story. And I could worry about, you know, kinds of questions I wanted to ask. And we could have that conversation in the car going to and from the story and then working together as we edited the piece. Uh, And, and it was great when you had that, that close link. And, you know, now I, from what I watch, uh, and I watch a lot of local news here, it does seem like it's uh, there's there's that, that that missing link as far as the the quality of the of the video is concerned, the composition. And I you know sometimes I've I've talked to reporters. We have one we have a photographer who lives in my neighborhood, and he'll tell me about stories they go to and the reporter saw something across the street. And said, so, "Well, I'll run over and grab that on my phone while you shoot <laughs> yeah, this." <right. laughs> you know, and like, well, okay, it's great that you can shoot a story on your phone, but you know, you're kind of we're missing uh, something there. And you know, it's, I guess the glory days probably were the days when I worked and you, you and I worked in the business <laughs> when we were doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking with Steve Newvine. He's in Merced, California. Now, Steve. You, uh, uh, you couldn't be nice and live in Irvine, so I could say, <laughs> "Yeah, we have Steve Newvine in Irvine." You know, it sounds a lot yeah. better than Merced, California. Yeah, but we're all dying. <laughs> we're we're all dying to know how you ended up from uh, Boonville to Binghamton to wherever else you said it was right. out to Merced, California.
1: Well, uh, I'll I'll try to be as brief about that all that transition as I can but right right out of college uh interviewed for the job at WICZ in Binghamton during my finals and about a week after graduation um Mark Williams was the news director and he um you know he he, we we talked and I of course had already been out there for the interview and he offered me the job so I was uh, started you know by the end of May uh, filled in on my first, uh, newscast as an anchor about a week after I started and, uh, filled in for uh, Memorial Day so that Mark could have the holiday off and, uh, did that, uh, various jobs, you know, within the, the news department, anchor, reporter, uh, for a year and a half and then was offered a weekend anchor job in Huntsville, Alabama. And my wife and I had just gotten married. So we were in that period of time like, okay, are we going to establish roots here or there or where? And, and then this opportunity came up in Huntsville and was like, we, so, well, gee, that would be an adventure. And, you know, and so U-Haul trailer, the whole works, uh, moved down there. And for two years, I um, started out as a weekend anchor. Then I became the uh, executive producer, which at the time encompassed the uh, – assignment editor functions as well as uh, you know kind of being the second in command in the newsroom and through that two-year period i also covered the space beat uh we had the nasa marshall space flight center and it was the early uh, launches of the space shuttle program so that was my big um, uh, takeaway from that two-year period mm-hmm. was sort of being the space reporter and and uh, really enjoyed that then i uh i Became a news director in Rockford, Illinois for about a year. And it was in 1980, 83, uh, Rockford, Illinois had the distinction of having the highest unemployment rate in the nation, 21%. And, uh, it was quite frankly a, a depressing place to, uh, to work and not because of the people or the community in any way, but just, you know, it was just hard to see. Uh, what 21% unemployment can do to a community. It was very uh, depressing in many respects. And then I was offered an opportunity to become uh, a senior producer at uh, WOKR, now WHAM TV in, in Rochester, Rochester, New York. And that's yeah. where you met yeah. Jeff Simic. Yeah. Well, actually, I knew Jeff in Binghamton. Actually, he was working at WINR radio. Um, so I knew him. Just we'd see him occasionally different uh events um and I, I didn't know him well but then uh his wife uh, jack um was working part-time at w uh, ICZ, my station shortly before i left i think in fact i think she was there part-time and then they had some cutbacks and her position was uh eliminated but um you know th- two years later in Rochester in walks Jeff Simic or Brian Simic at that point because he had to change his name uh because there was another Jeff at the station and he came into our station one day uh talking about some kind of uh mortgage interest rate search engine that he and uh, a partner had created and we did a story on that and um kind of reconnected there uh but I stayed with uh, with the WHAM radio um, or or television, rather, uh, which was WOKR at the time, for eight years. And then I became the executive producer at WROC, Channel 8, in Rochester <laughs> for three years. And then at that point, I lived in a, um, a, a suburb of Rochester, uh, and a chamber of commerce in that area had an opening for an executive director. And I thought, well you know i i think i think if i want to stay in this area that i've got to expand my horizons a little and that uh, you know i was just the business had grown kind of weary for me uh, you know in, in uh, television and um i said well let's give this a try and they they offered me the job so that meant i could you know do that and did that for 10 years it was a wonderful opportunity uh, at the Livingston County Chamber of Commerce, where I became the uh, President of the Chamber, uh, and then from there was recruited for um, the same position in Fresno, California, and that was two thousand and four uh, and two years later moved to Merced to take over the Merced Chamber of Commerce, which I just did for a year and was recruited by um, Pacific Gas and Electric, and became um, uh, a local government partnership program manager, uh, covering basically the, the Central Valley from uh, uh, just south of Sacramento all the way down to Bakersfield and over to Santa Barbara and that kind of midsection of the state that was in our service territory. So that, in a nutshell, is how I how I ended up in California. <laughs> and then uh retired 3 years ago and uh, i now uh, i now just focus entirely on my writing and and then all the community things that a retiree should be doing and um having a blast at it.
0: Well, we're going to we're going to talk about some of your writings here in just a second but i've i want to go back and 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 tell you a, a little a story about WROC in Rochester and and this occurred in 1971 70 or 71. I was working in Youngstown, Ohio, on WFMJ TV uh, Channel 21, and uh, I had decided I wanted to get back to. I didn't know whether I wanted to go back to radio full time news, or whether I wanted to stay with TV. I was kind of leaning in the direction of uh, of radio. It's it's easier, uh, far easier than television, and so I. I I read in Broadcasting Magazine that Triangle Broadcasting, which was owned by uh, Walter Annenberg, uh, who was the U.S. ambassador, I think, to England or or someplace. But anyhow, uh, Triangle Broadcasting owned a whole uh, slew of stations, Philadelphia and Bakersfield, I think, and Fresno and in Binghamton, New York. And so they were looking for a uh, news director for the AM FM combination in Binghamton, New York, and so I submitted my resume to them for that, and 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 they'd gotten a lot of resumes because it was in Broadcasting Magazine, so you know that everybody who could right. who right. could write their name uh, <laughs> sent a resume in. So in the meantime, I'm approached by WROC in Rochester. They had an opening in the news department there for television. Well, the, the resume that I had sent to Triangle was so comprehensive that I, I didn't know that I could recreate it to send it to WROC. <laughs> so of all of the ballsy things on earth to do, I called up the general manager at WNBF in Binghamton, New York, and I said, do you still have my resume? And he said, yes. I said, would you kindly send it to WROC in Rochester? <laughs> wow. And he admitted later it was that, uh, that is what tipped them over the edge.
1: Really? To, really?
0: to hire me. <laughs> they said, anybody who has that kind of chutzpah, we need to have them. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a great story. Great
0: story. <laughs> well, I want to, yeah, yeah. uh, let me, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, radio and uh, not so much TV. But TV is not as freewheeling as as radio is, but um, I, I have to wonder about your adjustment from broadcasting to the ultra-conservative atmosphere of a utility.
1: Oh, yes, big a big, well, at least I had the, I had the 13 years of Chamber of Commerce work that kind of prepared me for that because, uh, suddenly, you know, in the, in the Chamber world, I, I used to describe it as, now I'm in the room as big decisions were being made. Um we would be there for the, you know, the business perspective on, you know, development issues, any kind of government. Issues. Um, so I, for 13 years, I had exposure with business leaders, government uh, officials, politicians, all of that. So that by the time I got to the utility, um, I had you know that that exposure. In fact, that was one of the things that uh, the utility told me was that one of the things we saw in your resume and in your you know, your background material was you. You have had, uh, experience with government officials and campaigns and all of that. And so they just thought I would be the right person to go into a city council office and talk to a council member about our programs and all of that. So, um, it, it was, uh, it, I think the whole idea of, you know, in the broadcast arena, I always thought, saw myself as objective you're trying to be fair to both sides or all sides, and once you work for a you know outside of that and you're not you know you you do have a perspective that <laughs> it is how can we uh, best position our company to wow. you know to to achieve the goals that uh, are at hand how this issue impacts our customers and so i I've had that benefit of working with uh with Business people on the outside for 13 years, uh, so that when I was ready for this job, and again, this is one of those situations where I sent a resume in, didn't hear back about it, you know, anything, I, I and then six months later I get a phone call and it was from uh, a manager in uh, San Francisco saying, you know, we'd like to talk to you about that. Your name came up here. Uh, you know, your resume is here and I'm looking at it and I see you've done this and that. So it, I was, I was ready already in that realm where, okay, we can, you know, we can do this job and, and, you know, did it for 13 years. So I was, um, uh, you know, very happy to do it. And I, I adjusted quickly.
0: Right. <laughs> well, we're talking with, uh, Steve Newvine in, uh, Merced, California, and uh, as we approach the end of our time here, uh, I, I have over the years, you know, people have said to me, oh, "You've been so, you've done so many things, you've been to so many countries, you've had so many experiences. Why don't you write a book?" Well, I've thought <laughs> about that, and I realize I don't have enough relatives to make it profitable. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> but I'm, i you, you you've you're a prolific writer uh uh, uh minutes uh, 10 minutes to air sign on at sunrise go where you're needed uh um, soft skills for hard times uh, how do you think this up
1: well uh it really was the, the last um uh, last career that i had in in the public utility arena where i decided uh, I, I definitely wanted to do that book that you just described. You know, I, I've been everywhere, done everything. Uh, you know, you want to write a book. I, I decided, okay, I'll, I'll write a book about growing up in upstate New York. And it was really designed to be the book that I give my children. And you know, this is, this is why your old man said the things he said, <laughs> did the things he did. And so that's what that was all about. And it was, um, I had attended a conference. Um In the chamber era, when I worked for chambers uh and I met a man who had self published uh a book so I talked to him during one of the breaks and he kind of turned me on to this uh on demand publishing thing, which really made it easy for anybody to write a book because you just you, you know you you don't have to buy five hundred books and hope to sell them like you know you mentioned to your relatives um uh so i that that just opened the door for me to okay, how can I do this? Uh, my wife was a big help in editing the, the first book. And, and my dad was, um uh, he started buying books and giving them to friends. And I didn't realize he was doing that until I saw my quarterly, uh, royalty, uh, things. And what are, who's buying these books? And so I, I said, okay dad, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. We made sure the local library not only had a book in this collection, but it had, uh, you know, some to sell and um so that, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't acting as my agent anymore. And that's how I got started with that book. And then um, one of the things I did in the utility arena was serve on the local workforce investment board and I, and was even chairman for a couple of years. And I kept hearing from the employers who were on that, on that board. And it was by law, a, private sector majority board so you had a lot of employers um saying you know these these kids have no idea how to handle a job how to do a job you know how to be at work on time I only, and and it all boiled down to me with soft skills you know they they lack the soft skills and i looked i said gee i my life has been you know full of soft skills <laughs> and i have experiences from all of my various jobs that maybe I could throw that together and and put together a book that would be helpful to folks and we've been using that particular book soft skills for hard times as a source uh for a class that I teach every year for disadvantaged adults who are trying to find their way back into the into the workplace into you know regular life um and it, we we do a soft skills training through an organization called Love Inc, I-N-C, standing for In the Name of Christ, but it's a 16 week program with all kinds of life skills and I do about a week, sometimes two weeks on soft skills. And that kind of led to, you know, telling that story about working at a small radio station which became Sign On at Sunrise. I made it a novel because I, I still think that as interesting and as much fun as uh local radio was for me that my particular stories were not all that interesting. So I took stories that people had shared with me over the years and wove it together uh, I uh, hopefully in a in a pleasing narrative about a young man who works at a radio station uh through his college years. And then um that kind of led to a book I did about my my uh year in, in Binghamton, which was called uh Standby Camera One. And I'm writing a book right now about the two years that I spent in Huntsville covering the space program, and I hope to have that out later this year but throughout the throughout the uh last ten or fifteen years, I've probably written about ten or twelve books oh, wow. and uh and yeah i i'm I'm you know yeah, we sell a few but i it's not really about selling it's just me having fun and and uh telling telling stories which is really uh, I've been fortunate that through what I'm doing now, writing twice monthly for our local website here, um, I can I can kind of emulate that uh, that those early years of radio and television when I had to turn on a story every day.
0: We have about two minutes left, uh, Steve. And uh, if anybody are you, I mean, you said that these it's not a matter of profit; it's a matter of writing. But it, it certainly it w- would not offend you. If anybody wanted to acquire these books and read them
1: oh absolutely,
0: <laughs> yes, how, how yeah. would they do that
1: well they they can do it a couple of ways. Some of the books have actually migrated to Amazon, so you can actually go on and and uh, you know search my name and and find a few of them. Uh, my publishing site is lulu dot com so if you go to lulu dot com and put my name in you 'll get all the books. That I've written um, there is a independent book selling site that i the the address escapes me now, but uh the, they are focused entirely on uh, writers such such as me who are just just doing this as an independent writer um, and that's available too so I think the main thing is if you if you remember my name and it's not Steve Irvine but Steve newvine <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and search that you'll chances are you'll find uh the books that uh, that I've written, and uh, but lo- probably the fastest, direct, uh, most direct, and probably the cheapest way <laughs> to find my books is directly from Lulu.com.
0: Lulu.com, yes. Well, Steve Newvine, thank you very much uh, for taking the time out to be with us. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in what you've had to say, and uh, I, I've enjoyed immensely I've, in uh, talking to you. I've enjoyed it immensely and i I thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure just to sit around and talk about broadcasting and uh, and just the the great people and the great stories from uh, a wonderful time in all of our lives.
0: Maybe you can come back again in the future.
1: Oh, I would welcome that. Thank you very much.